Hello and welcome to another edition of the Manufacturer Podcast. You're listening to me, Tom Sinjin, and on this episode, I'm joined by the CEO and founder of Sevest, Higgy Bassi. Sevest offers cloud-based climate intelligence to empower enterprises, governments, and financial services companies to manage and adapt to climate risk at an asset level. Iggy is here to talk about the role of manufacturers in the attempts to mitigate the climate crisis. He's here to talk about what we mean when we say climate intelligence. And he's here to tell us about Sevest's climate intelligence platform, EarthScan, which is driven by Earth Science AI, a pioneering technology. This quantifies uncertainty across climatological and statistical models, blends signals from complex data sets, and then scales them to resolutions that matter to decision makers. Well, Iggy, hello, and welcome to the Manufacturer Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Tom. So the manufacturing industry in Europe, it emits 880 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalents each year. And that's according to the World Economics Forum, one of the largest emitters of greenhouse gases on the continent. First of all, Iggy, not so much of a question to put to you, but more of a statement. That is a huge footprint, isn't it? Absolutely, it is, um, and it's it's all it's all driven by sort of historic um, reliance, dependence, and just economic development through through manufacturing. And also, I think for sort of most of that industry, we didn't quite know the consequences of climate change. What does it mean to have all these accumulated emissions over time? Right. So, probably the last 30, 40 years, uh, science has caught up. Uh, we are seeing the backlash. Um, the last 15, 20 years, we've seen a sharper lens to say, okay, how do we take that action? Now, some of that's been codified in international agreements. I think in the last two to three years, we've seen a major acceleration, particularly around um, decarbonization, which I think is absolutely fundamental. So when we think about the manufacturing sector, we look at two or three areas um, that fundamentally have to change. One is resource efficiency. How do we think about resources um, across the entire value chain? This is not just inside the manufacturing. This is looking at scope one, scope two, scope three as well. Uh, but I think a more fundamental concern for manufacturing is the over-reliance on fossil fuels today, right? How do we how do we wean away from that, and and how do we set very ambitious um, decarbonization goals? Because I think that's the only way, if we can set very high goals and have um, great technologies, um, great new energy um, efficiency enhancements programs to figure out how do we decarbonize very very quickly. Just how significantly will manufacturing be impacted in the attempts to reverse the climate crisis from a regulatory perspective, and just more generally, how radically will operations and approaches have to change? Yeah, that's a great question. I think much depends on um, what type of manufacturing, where you are in the world, and also what's your pathway to decarbonization. So if you look at things like physical risk, for instance, I think it's I think it's fair to say that most manufacturing facilities have been optimized around low cost, low cost locations. So in sort of many ways, we've, we've sort of chased the um, if you like the economic equation of the last 30, 40 years, as opposed to what are the best places for resilience, for instance, right? So lots of the manufacturing in the last 30, 40 years has shifted to geographies which are probably the least resilient to climate change. So they will see greater frequency, greater severity, greater duration of extreme events, um, as we've seen played out over the last decade or so. 
What does that mean for a manufacturing company? Well, obviously physical damages to their assets, uh, which is then linked to financial damages, downtime, uh, increased OPEX. Um, what does that all mean for the efficiency of supply chains, for instance, right? So we've seen manufacturing sectors have very high geoconcentration of a particular sector, right? I think we've seen this recently in the um, semiconductor space and we've seen in the auto component space where geoconcentration and a few major events can absolutely um, hammer an entire sector because the cascade effects ripple through all across Europe, the States. Um, Just-in-time manufacturing also just means um, you, you have to be prepared for sudden risks. And, and how do we plan better for that? Green finance strategy came on the 2nd of July in 2019. The government then invested £10 million back in February in a, a UK centre for greening finance and investment. How are the increasing options available to businesses damaging when it comes to regulatory and government initiatives on greener finance. I've seen you describe them as a a tick boxing exercise for clients and customers rather than saving our planet. Yeah, I think I think there's a temptation to green many, many things, but I think at the heart of it, there's a there's a new equation of risk management and how do we think about risk risk management, right? So for me, there are two fundamental components to um, the climate problem. One is how quickly can we decarbonize? And secondly, are we taking physical risk seriously? Are we able to quantify physical risk down at an asset scale to say, okay, how do I think about my manufacturing? How do I think about my locations? I think equally banks, insurance companies, B2B partners, regulators, they're all becoming smarter, right? In the next three to five years, they will have more tools available, more analytics, more intelligence available to start discriminating to say, well, Tom, you know, um, you looks looks like you got these risky assets here. What is your plan to adapt these assets? So whilst greenwashing may work um, short term, it's not going to work long term to think about your risk management, to think about the performance of your credit portfolio. And also, if you're on the manufacturing side, you will face these risks, right? So you should be embracing green finance in many ways, because I think if if capital markets are asking you to take that journey towards net zero, towards understanding your physical risk and thinking about smarter adaptation, it's actually in both your interest to do that. So I don't see it as a tax. I don't see it as a burden. I see it as a transition. Um, and, and it's an important transition, both for shareholder um, sort of value creation, um, also for the longevity um, of these assets, but also for capital markets. Um, so I think everybody can win if we get to true green finance. But of course, Tom, there is a, a lot of um, short-term greenwashing as well that we have to be mindful of. And you may have touched on it a little bit in what you've already said, but when we talk about climate intelligence for a business to be truly climate intelligent, what do we mean by that? So for us, it's not just about analyzing your risk um, on a sort of one-time basis. I think we're living in a very volatile world, which become more and more volatile um, over the next couple of decades. Um, Actually, probably for the bulk of this century, you'll see greater volatility. You'll see um, regimes that we haven't lived through before. Now, becoming climate intelligent is to be able to understand that early, detect that, and think about your adaptation and think about, okay, well, how do I also decarbonize? Um, how do I also decarbonize along the way as well? 
For instance, putting up new factories, thinking about locational risk, thinking about your supply chain risk, how do you codify that into your planning, right? In the same way that you would look at FX or political risk, why aren't we looking more seriously at climate risk when it comes to locations, right? So asking yourselves, like, what's the biggest risk that I will face? Um, what's going to happen to my operational resiliency? How do I think about business continuity? How do I think about geoconcentration over time? Right. Which of my assets have already seen the most amount of risk acceleration over the last three or four decades? Right. So becoming climate intelligent is just like business intelligence. Right. You use it to make better decisions, more informed decisions, and ultimately think about risk adjusted growth as much as you can. So I think there's a broad spectrum of what climate intelligence for is. But for us, these are cumulative powers that companies, regulators, banks, insurance companies will need to build into their existing pricing models, capital deployment models in their growth models. Um, if they are to truly to understand, OK, we embrace climate risk, we understand it, we understand that we need to take out the emissions, but we also understand the physical risks that are already baked into the system. Remember, Tom, that physical risks are already locked in. So in many ways, um, the emissions, um, whilst they're super important, in and of themselves, they're not enough to really contend with physical risks that are already locked into the system. So what you've seen just in the last couple of weeks, for instance, whilst they may be classed as extreme events, uh, they're going to happen with greater frequency. So what does that mean for your operational resilience, right? When we see Californian fires or European heat waves or water running out of Cape Town, you're gonna to see more of this. So again, how do you think about risk management within the manufacturing sector? Mm, and adapting to climate change really means taking action, doesn't it? Preparing and adjusting to both the current effects of climate change and the predicted impacts in, in the future. I think in the past though, the asset level analysis hasn't really been there. I think until now, organizations haven't had the capability to quantify, to interpret, to integrate climate risks into uh, core decisions. So Iggy, tell us about EarthScan. Tell us about this climate intelligence platform. Why and how are its capabilities unprecedented? Well, I, I would say, first of all, there are a number of convergence points over the last five, five or six years. Actually, it's sort of cumulative, probably, probably over 10 years. So we've seen um, everything from our ability to collect more data, um, to have a more penetrative lens across the Earth um, through things like satellites. Um, but also, I think the power of machine learning, statistical science, we can just do and see a lot more than we ever have before. Now, we just think we can fuse that together to get a better view of, okay, what's going to happen from a climate POV, what's going to happen to assets. So one of my big concerns, um, because I actually had a sort of a semi-food processing center um, in my prior business, and we had seen a lot of extreme events um, impact that. So I said, well, I actually want to know what's going to happen to my manufacturing um, asset or my processing units. Whilst I care about general climate change, I specifically care what's going to happen to my assets. So for me, I, I sort of asked the question to my mathematicians and my scientists about five years ago, can we get down to asset scale, right? Because that's what's going to matter to people over time. So what we did over the last couple of years is to say, well, how can we, how can we create a platform that can help decision makers at an asset scale by pre-populating the platform with as many of the world's physical assets, natural assets over time, and then start automating the, the analytics to say, well, what's already happened to Tom's asset? What will happen? When will it happen? Why will it happen? And over time, 
what should Tom do to that asset to make it more resilient? Um, how does he think about um, adaptation? So EarthScan is our initial uh, platform that we're launching back end of this year, but we've already started onboarding fairly asset intensive companies. So I think 25 companies so far have joined the, our, what we call our early access program. And we're pretty confident of taking that up to about 40, 40 companies before we make it generally available to everybody, uh, which is um, back end of the year. So what can people do on EarthScan? First of all, they can query their assets. They can build a portfolio and say, okay, well, fine. I've got assets in 15, 20 different countries. Build a portfolio and analyze what's already happened to those assets. So we, we, we measure multiple variables. We don't believe there's, there's enough explanatory power in a single variable. So we decided to really pursue multivariate risk. And also you've seen this play out. We've seen lots of cascade effects. You see what we call compound events happening together where multiple hazards form together. So you have to be able to measure this in brand new ways. And this is really fusing together machine learning physics in ways that I, I think is quite pioneering. It hasn't been done, but it's also gonna be incredibly useful for, for um, companies, when you start making recommendations, you need to be able to understand which dimensions of risk are affecting you the most so you can take the right and appropriate adaptation choices, right? And that's not just for, for existing assets, Tom. It's really important that we start looking at new assets as well. Like how do we start encoding climate intelligence into new assets from the inception, right? So for that, EarthScan will go into things like time series, what's already happened to those locations. You can look at cohort analyses, for instance, right? And that should inform you in terms of your insurance, that should in, um, inform you in terms of what kind of capital can you get for this um, over time, but also should you build it at all, first of all, and also, what design principles would you have to change if you were to build this asset in this location, for instance? For instance, would you put up a very high building next to the coast um, in certain geographies, right? Uh, would you put up a manufacturing facility in a location that could be running low on water in the next 20, 30 years, right? Given these are long-term fixed assets, we need to start encoding some of that intelligence early into the design phase rather than trying to retro retrospectively um, you know, fix all of our assets, um, which is you know, quite challenging to do. Um, but also, if you look at where net new growth will come from in the next 30, 40, 50 years, a lot of it will come from emerging economies, right? So we do have to start encoding climate intelligence um, a lot more intentionally in our capital choices, our locational choices, where we put manufacturing, and start thinking about resilience of locations rather than just a cost. And for your liking, are enough businesses understanding and engaging with this platform? And generally, are they engaging with the idea of becoming more climate intelligent? I think for many people, it's a journey, um, Tom. I think there's a lot of uncertainty around climate. But there's no prior experience. There's no what we call institutional memory that companies have to say, well, okay, we've dealt with this 10, 15 years ago. We have deep systems um, of sort of records. They don't. So there's a, there's a novelty to it in the sense that they don't have the skill. There's an urgency to it, which is why I think a lot of people are reaching out to say, how do we think about this problem? Um, so in sort of many ways, it's it's a superpower that they've never built. It's a superpower that's not taught in MBAs or in manufacturing planning, for instance, right? So 
because there's no prior, I think it's quite difficult for large companies to start embracing what does it mean to be climate resilient um, adaptation. Now, having said that, there's a lot of great initiatives out there. There's the science-based targets. I think um, eight or nine companies, sorry, eight or nine hundred companies have already signed up to science-based targets, for instance, right? We ask ourselves a slightly different question. How do you get multiple actors smarter simultaneously, right? How do you use the power of digital technology to say, well, everyone needs to be climate literate um, within a system or else if Tom's getting smart and I'm not getting smart, then we actually don't win, right? So the concept of mass climate intelligence for us is quite important. This is why we, we build a platform where you can search and see other people's assets as well. So we have this concept of, I see what you see, Tom, right? taking away some of those information asymmetries, which will hinder companies if they begin to privatize their climate risks, right? Because that's not helpful to the system. That's not helpful to the bank, to the insurance companies, to your B2B partners, to the regulators. So in many ways, if all this technology is fused together over the last five, 10 years, then it's actually, it's a responsible thing to do to make it available to everybody so that everyone can, again, because climate is a collective problem. It's not a problem for one sector, right? So the whole system needs to get a little bit smarter in terms of how they deploy, how they make better decisions. And it's you know such a big issue, isn't it, Iggy? I mean, it's uh, climate change. It's threatening the future of, of everything, every physical asset, natural resource that the world depends on. It. You know, it's going to continue costing the world billions. It's going to affect every enterprise around the world. Uh, do you feel when it comes to larger manufacturers? are enough people or enough big companies taking the whole thing seriously enough, do you feel? Um, I'm not sure they have the tools yet, um, mm. Tom. I think we are just getting to regulatory frameworks like disclosure laws, for instance. Um, I think there's a massive race on, there's huge urgency. I think the last three or four years have seen a huge rise in companies being interested. I think COVID certainly helped help large companies, um, risk managers, reframe the concept of risk management, right? What does that mean? At, at the same time, we're seeing a lot more disruption, right? So, I mean, heat domes, floods in Germany, these are gonna happen with greater and greater frequency, right? So it's, again, if you're sitting at the board or if you're a CEO of a large manufacturing company, you need to be asking yourself these questions. Well, could this happen to me? Are my assets safe, right? And most manufacturing facilities or large integrated manufacturers, um, are, um, these are multi-jurisdictional um, companies with assets streaming across multiple and dozens and dozens of different countries. So how on earth do you measure that, right? So again, it's a massive challenge for them. I think tools, intelligence, digital platforms, um, climate models, all fused together can start giving direction to companies like how do you think about this? At the same time, disclosure is really important because it's a forcing mechanism for everyone to start quantifying their climate risk, understanding their transition risk, right? But also understanding their physical risks. For us, I, I think we often, we often see companies setting very grand targets over 30, 40 years, um, you know, some of them more aggressive, you know, 10 or 15 years. But the truth is they, they, they still haven't really encoded their physical risks, right? Um, setting goals long-term is, is absolutely essential. But I keep coming back to you're going to live through more volatility. And if you've got fixed assets, you really do need to understand what that means. Well, look, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Iggy, thank you very much for joining me on the Manufacturer Podcast. I 
certainly feel I've become more climate intelligent and generally just more intelligent listening to that. So thank you very much for your time. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Bye-bye.